I was not allowed to participate in the kids' activities because I'm not Christian. And that raised the conflict in my mind. How come we're different? This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in faith today with Ala Arsarhan and Rasha Kudisat, husband and wife. She graduated with a PhD in educational evaluation. He is doing the very same thing this year. So first of all, congratulations on those educational attainments. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. From Jordan, are you from Amman? Well, we're not from Amman originally, but we are from different cities. But we live in Amman because we, are, we were working in, in Amman. My family is from a city called Mafrak. Her family is from a city called Erbet. So both in the north of Jordan. Can I ask you, Russia, where you met? We met, first of all, on Facebook. <laughs> During my work on, um, at the Ministry of Social Development, I worked with a group of students from BYU. And we worked on shared projects to work on communities. And one of the students had mentioned Allah as being their guidance and mentor, and that he was providing them with suggestions and advice about my project. And I was like, who does that? That's my project. <laughs> um, so that student mentioned um, Alaa name and he told me about him, how supportive he was and his advice was really relevant to the communities and helped them to implement their projects. So I was curious to know who's this person. He gave me his contact and I contacted Alaa and I asked him, I understand that you're um, advising my students in so-and-so, so I'd like to know more about what do you do and how you're connected to them and so. And that was the start of our discussions. And then I realized how smart he was. He is still. <laughs> <laughs> I was fascinated with the way he strategically think, and we picked it up from there. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Two children later, soon to be three. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, I wonder if you would each tell me if you have an early memory of in your family or, or school or in the mosque, whatever your earliest memories are of, of Islam, learning about who God was and maybe making some connection and thinking, I think I'm going to follow this. I'm claiming this for myself. Yeah, so – First of all, I, I just want to say that being a Muslim or Christian or any other religion, you are following what your parents are. So this is, this is the role here. So mm. if your parents are Muslims, then you become a Muslim. And if your parents are Christian, then you become a Christian and so on. So I was born for a Muslim family. So I am Muslim. I start to learn more about Islam and to know more about Islam in early ages. You know, maybe it's when I was like five or six, I was introduced to some basics or basic uh, uh, teachings about Islam, uh, about Islam in, in, in general. As I grow, uh, you know, I, I learn more and more from my family, from my neighbors, community, etc. But the teaching is different in that early age from, you know, that what we learn after that. 
I mean, and the teenage is different from, you know, early, uh, early years. In Islam, in general, people, they are not accountable until they are like 11 or 12. So they're, they're old enough to, yes, to understand. Exactly. So before that, you are not accountable for anything. So you better do all your mischief while you're young. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, usually, you know, kids and, you know, they, they don't have like, you know, big sins. Right. Yeah. So they and they are, you know, under control of their family and their parents and so on. But again, it's, it's 11 or 12 years start, you know, to be accountable. And at that time, we have to practice our religion in the right way. This is my view or my opinion about how we uh, receive or how we learn more about Islam. Thank you, Allah. Okay. Uh, Russia, what was your early experience? Um, it's pretty much the same that I come from a Muslim family who practice Islam as a lifestyle on daily basis. But one of my earliest memories when I was a little girl, I attended Catholic school. And Catholic schools, Muslims were minority there. And I remember in Christmas, I was not allowed to participate in the kids' activities because I'm not Christian. And that raised the conflict in my mind. And I remember I was, I think, first grade, something like that. Is that how come we're different? Why I'm not allowed to be part of it? They were so fun and singing and decorations. That raised a lot of questions for me, why and how come we're different. But then when I go home and I see how my family practicing Islam, it would make sense. The good thing in Catholic schools in Jordan that to somewhat they separate the Muslim kids from the Christian kids and they give them instructions or even teaching about each faith that is convenient for them. So we had our teaching in Islam, but I remember that particular day is that you're not allowed to do mm. that. That created the first question for me, how am I different? Interesting, interesting. You're both very kind to accept this interview invitation because this is when we're taping the month of Ramadan and you're fasting. I'm wondering, first of all, is Ramadan, as I understand it, that is the month that the angel Gabriel came and gave the first of the revelations to Muhammad. Is, right. that, is yes, that correct? Yes, correct. I wonder if you'd explain just a little bit about what Ramadan means to a Muslim family. Actually, when we think about Ramadan and fasting in general, so this is what God asked us, you know, asked us at the first place to do. And it's not only Islam that they are fasting. All the religions, you know, as far as I know, all the religions, they are requested in a way or another, to fast a day or more, 40 or 50, it depends. And how they practice their fasting is different, you know, from one to another. Anyway, the fasting in Islam, it's, uh, if, we, if we try to define the fasting, is that we stop, you know, drinking and eating from dawn until sunset. Mm -hmm. So uh, here, for example, in, in Utah, it's like 18 hours. You know, it's, it's a long day. It is. <laughs> so, uh, especially with the hot weather, you know, and the sun. Yeah, so we are, we are, we are trying, you know, to... Uh, the idea of fasting is to remember others, to remember poor people. This is one of the uh, ideas or one of the goals of the uh, fasting. The other one is to practice ourselves 
to resist any kind of temptation, you know, resist, uh, you know, food and resist uh, water and drinking and uh, resist uh, wife and husband relations kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a way that we try to control ourselves to feel with others, with, with the people, with the, with the poor people. This is what's fasting in, uh, in Islam and how we practice it. And I like your point about that there is some type of fasting requested in almost every religion. Yes. And that it has to do with, with spirituality right. rather than it's not a punishment. Yes. And I want to add something here. In, in our Holy Book, Quran, there is a verse that mentioned that it's I don't know if, if I can close translate that verse, which means that all believers, when, when God speaks that all believers, that means all the believers, not only Muslims, you know. So it's a, a speech to all people who are believers, regardless if they are Muslims or not. And he asked them to fast as he asked the people before them. Mm. You know, so it was mentioned that it's the fasting is not only required by Muslims, it's required by all people uh, who are believers. Thank you. Raja, I'm wondering, during the month of Ramadan, when people are coming together as families, as congregations, or at, at meeting places, is there sort of a special spirit at that time, a special feeling? Um, for me, I feel the connection with, whether it's my faith with God or the connection with my family, my friends, or my community. So it's not only just the religion per se, but also the building relations, the appreciation, the acknowledgement of all these connections. I even feel a special connection with my daughters hmm. during Ramadan. I like when I sit with them and I try to explain to them about Ramadan. And that's where I feel the connection with God, that God instructed me at some point to send the right message to the girls. And especially in this time, this is the perfect time to tell them about and to have them see our experience firsthand. Mm. And the same thing with my friends. I have long distance friends, but we communicate spiritually and uh, we support each other from that part. Uh, we guide each other, especially in this month, if somebody is like um, doing something wrong or seeks for advice. This is a perfect chance for guidance and advice. The same thing with my family. Interesting that you talk about teaching your daughters by your example. And I'm wondering, how soon does a child begin or how are they trained to join in observing the fast? Most of my friends' families, when they share their experience, it depends on the child. Some children, their bodies can do fasting starting at the age of 7 to 10. From my experience with my family, I remember when I was a little girl, my father used to teach me fasting half day, hmm. and he would call it birds fasting. <laughs> that's from morning until noon. Uh -huh. And that's when he would say, that's good job. You did fasting good. Now, why don't you have a snack and then keep up the rest of the fasting? So it was a way you shaking. You did the same thing. <laughs> um, it's like training our bodies to fast, but we do not put them at risk. Like right. if we see a child seven years or 10 years old cannot do it, we cannot force it. But after 10, I think it's the perfect timing to commit to it. 
so it depends. It varies based on the child, the body, and um, there's a lot of strategies for families to train the kids for that. Allah, you mentioned fasting for the poor in remembrance of. I was uh, kindly invited to go to Iftar, the breaking of the fast, at a mosque in Salt Lake City. And the message was all about that, that we pledge ourselves to remember better the poor. And that is a common message, is that? Yes, you're right. Ramadan. Yes, you're right. So, yeah, because it's, it's a chance that we review things in our life and start to remember others and start to, to feel or, or, and think about the people. They need our help and they need our support. So Ramadan uh, fasting is, is the way to remember these, uh, you know, those people who are you know, in need and who suffer from uh, wars and you know, all kinds of economic uh, hardship. It's a way or, uh, you know, to remember and think about those people. Was it a shock when you came from Jordan and came to the U.S. and were suddenly from the majority of believers to the minority of believers? Was, was that a shock? I wouldn't say a shock because even here there's a lot of believers. I mean, mm. we live in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of these people. And I like it that I was able to communicate with different religions, mm. with uh, different people from different religions. It took me a time to choose my words when I speak or in, I'm in a religious discussion mm. because there might be misinterpretation or misunderstanding, but I wouldn't call it a shock. It was diversity. I liked the discussion that I had with friends from other religions. That's fascinating. You talk about words and misunderstanding. My understanding, for example, to choose a very loaded word if I can, jihad, mm-hmm. which has taken on a whole other meaning. But if I understand it, it simply means the struggle Yes. That, that we all have. And is it the religious struggle or, or is it just what does that mean? Actually, is the most difficult and I think the hardest jihad is that you jihad your, your own self, your own soul, and just not to do sense. Hmm. So this is, this is the most, you know, and hard jihad. The struggle but, with self. Exactly. Hmm. So uh, if, but again, the media and all different kind of political kind of things, they are trying to drive this, uh, the meaning into different direction or to just uh, employ it in in different, you know, uh, way. The jihad is, it's not mean that we kill other people or we kill or we no. invade the, you know, different countries and killing people just left and right. This is not, this is not, uh, this is not Islam. Islam in general is, is a religion of peace and it's a, it's a submission to God. So this is, this is Islam. So, but that tells you why you said you had to choose your words <coughs> carefully because of misunderstandings. Yes. yes. I was actually one of my experience when I first started here. I use the words Alhamdulillah, A'udhu Billah, like praise to God or God, uh, seek God forgiveness. And the way we communicate with God Almighty Allah, we Muslims, we do it directly. So we ask forgiveness, we praise directly. We don't have that mediator 
like the other religions. And one time when I was in my classes, I used these words. And sometimes I use them without thinking. If anybody asked me, how are you? I would say, alhamdulillah, thank God. Um, one person approached me and he was like, the way you express your praise to God is um, insulting for us. Really? Um, yes, because somehow they explained it to me that LDS people or Christian people, if I understood it right, they do not communicate to God, to the word God directly, because they communicate with Jesus Christ or other prophets. So the way I communicated, he was like, this is insulting. Probably you need to choose your words wisely. At that time, I backed off in talking to people and or even discussing my thoughts and ideas, especially with this one course where 45 minutes took of the classroom, of the class time, a scripture discussion. So at that time, I felt out of context. I can't use my words wisely. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm from a completely different world, completely different religion, because I was the only one who's from different religion. So I felt the disconnect because of the words. Mm. I couldn't choose them. And that's when I started reading more about other religions, reading more about my religion, um, how we interpret these words, context, stories. So it gave me a wider perspective and a better understanding of other people with their religion and stories. Even though at first I was, I did not appreciate his comment, but now I think it was a really good one because it helped me educate myself better. Yeah. Well, and hopefully he will continue to educate himself better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think it's so wonderful that we can have conversations yeah. and come to understand. I'm wondering, are there times when you have felt either guidance in answer to prayer or guidance from God or felt like God was working in your life in some way? Uh, I mean, those are hard questions to determine sometimes based on our own faith. Yeah, so yeah, this is uh, this is uh, true actually. So the idea of prayer is to connect to God and asking for God's help and assistance and mm. guidance and and so on. So, yeah, so what we believe that if I want something or I'm looking for something to happen and I ask God to help me, I will not expect to get the answer immediately, you know, next day or something like that. But in Islam, God is encourage us to work. You know, first of all, we we ask God to help us, but we need to work for that mm. thing, you know, in order to get it or in order to uh, to 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 make uh, things happen. You know, so we need to work first. It's not just I sit here in my chair and then okay, God, uh, I want something and uh, this and that. This is not going to work. You know, so it's first. Yeah, we ask help God, but we ask. You know, we need to work. You know, in order to get uh, things. And yes, sometimes, or most of the time, actually, we got what what we want when we ask God, you know, in, and work for that thing. And sometimes we have like a pray that, God, if this is good for me, then give it to me. If not, if this is bad thing, you know, bad, something bad, then just make it away from me. And so... This is the way that we uh, we believe in. Oh, how, oh, this is how we we ask God, and uh, we need to to work for to get the things. It's not just only asking. Hmm. Dick, do you have a comment on this? 
I'm pretty much like Ala approach and I like the fact that sometimes when I'm really tense and I really want something and work for it, Ala always guide me to the right track and he was like, if it's good for us, it will happen. Just relax. Do what you do and just relax. And I'm, That's faith, isn't it? That's trust? Yes, yes. He is. He has a great trust and I depend on him for that part. <laughs> Because sometimes I get really That's under- part of what's good about a marriage. You can yeah. each have at Balance. different times be strong. Yeah. yeah. I I'm I'm usually under a lot of pressure. I want to work hard, I want to do more. And he he always calm me and guide me into that. If it's good, God will make it up for you do what you do and just leave everything to God. Mm. So I, I like that about Allah. You are both very highly educated people. And there is a stereotype that if people get too smart <laughs> or too educated, they'll leave belief and faith behind. But that's not always true. No. No. Would you talk to me a little bit? Do you have an opinion about that? Yeah. Well, I think that the more that I learn, educate myself, the more that I believe or close to God, you know, mm-hmm. or, because I, I, I will start, you know, understand things that maybe when I'm less educated, I will not un- un- understand them, religious things or, you know, things that in that makes me believe. I believe that anything that, I, for example, we were talking about this before, that if you want to test something or you want to to know more about, for example, the Holy Book, the Quran, test it. Test the, 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 the verses. Mm. Because we believe that our, our Holy Book is communicated to the mind directly. It has a lot of scientific miracles, scientific things that we can test them and see if it's true or not. So, yeah, the more that I learn, the more that I get information or educated, the more that I think, yeah, this is the right thing that I'm, I'm following. And it's, it's, it's right because, yeah, I can now understand more and can, you know, uh, see that different things from previous, for example, when I was less educated. Hmm. Interesting perspective. Yeah. I think if you read more about the scientific miracles in the Quran, it starts from artematics to astrology. And a lot of scientists have converted to Islam because of their science, because the things that they proved, it was mentioned in the Quran 1400 years ago. Hmm. And there was no way a normal person would know <laughs> these things. Uh-huh. And now in the, in the uh, 20th century, scientists have discovered these and proved them true. When they go back to the Quran, it's already mentioned there. And that by itself, that their advanced education, their advanced knowledge in science, that gave them the proof more that the more educated you are, the more believe or the more closer you are to God. Um, there is a verse in the Quran, it's basically, it's wondering by God. It's not wondering, it's just like um, a saying is that are the people who know equal to the people who does who do not know? They're probably equal in, in other characteristics, but they're not the same. Because the more they know, the closer you are to God. And that's the beauty of Islam. It's, and that's what makes it distinguish from other religions. That's why I like it. Mm. Because it encourages us to question. And there's nothing wrong with to question. Even in the Quran, if you have any moment of doubt or conflict or question, it encourages you 
to question that verse, ask for it, seek for answers. So it's basically based on knowledge. And during my study in BYU, and that's how I educated myself more about my religion, is that part of the content analysis people did on the Quran, the knowledge by itself, a word that was mentioned more than 3,000 times in the Quran. Knowledge. Yes. That's like knowing, know, knows, to know, knowledge, and so on. And that's how it's basically all based on knowledge and questioning and answering questions. We have just a few minutes, but I'd love to hear what you think are the, the very basic things that make your life happy that have to do with religion. Peace. Feeling peace yes. or creating peace? It, it makes me feel peace. Mm. Looking back at my life, I was, I was not in the same place like I am now. Um, the more I know about Islam, the more I practice it, the more I understand it the more he support me and put me back to, <laughs> to the right track. I feel more peace, and that's what makes me happy. He is a true Muslim. He practiced Muslim the right way, not the way media describes mm. it. I like the relationship between husband and wife based on Islamic perspective. And I always treat me right, but sometimes when I interpret his actions and then I read the Quran and Sunnah, I'm like, that's a true interpretation of Islam. So I'm happy with that. I'm peaceful with the way he treats me and treats my daughters, the way he supports me. I find in answering questions or doubts, or even when I'm at some point, I don't have control over my life then I now I submit everything in my life to God. I did my part, and it's now it's up to God to lead me to the right path. So that's, that's a piece I like mm. in Islam. What does the word Islam mean? Submission. Submission. Yes. Mm. Submission. Any basic things? Well, again, you know, uh, once you are following the right teachings of Islam, for example, to me, then that makes your life happy and makes you, you know, just feeling that you are okay doing right and you don't worry about anything in your life okay this is this is what I'm, I'm i'm doing is is the right thing and also it's it gives us you know the way that to appreciate others other religions to appreciate to respect what other people believe islam is 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 all about accept others and it's not it's not what we learn or what we now hearing uh, from the media and so on. So, yes, it, it makes me accept others and try to understand uh, different faiths and different religions because, again, all religions, they are from God, regardless if you are Muslim or not. All the religions, you know, they are from, from God and they are teaching the same way, may, the, the same teaching in different ways, but they are the same teaching. Maybe I will back to one of your questions to Russia. First, when I came here to Utah, it was not a, a cultural shock to me as much as I found the people, they are believers. And I found many common things between what the people believe here and what I I believe in, in, in my own country or my religion. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it gives me a way to to communicate well as, as with, with, with people and to respect others. We're speaking today with Ala Asarhan, Rasha Kudisat, husband and wife. By the end of this year, they will both have PhDs in educational evaluation. Thank you both for speaking in good faith with us today. Thank, thank you. you so much thank for you having for inviting us. us. Yes, thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from a panel of listeners talking about the ideas brought up by our guests, Allah and Rasha. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. I mentioned while talking to Allah and Rasha that I had been invited to Iftar, a breaking of the fast, which was a brand new experience for me and very nice to be involved and invited by a Muslim congregation. That's one step, but I have on the line with me a lady who not only did that, but then took it one step further, which is Kristen Hodges. Kristen, thank you for speaking with us on In Good Faith. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So this sounds like it was a process. You heard about Iftar, then you were invited, and then you organized one. Tell me about this, because you're not Muslim. I'm not Muslim. I'm a practicing Mormon. I was thinking about the ways in which my own practice of fasting seemed to be somewhat weak. It was not robust. It was not something that, on a regular basis at least, it wasn't bringing me a lot of nourishment to my soul. And I thought, well, perhaps if I find out how other faith traditions practice fast, I could incorporate some of that into my practice to kind of beef it up or experience it in a new way. Because I think that sometimes looking at things from a different perspective or or thinking of things in a new way can really, really help in our own spiritual practices. I had heard about Ramadan, but I wanted to find out more about what that practice entails. When I was researching this, I came across stories of Mormons in Southern California who had organized Iftar Break the Fast Sundays. So they would choose a first Sunday of the month because that's when Mormons typically fast. And then it was also a Sunday during Ramadan so that Muslims could join. And so these two groups would come together and break their fast together. And they found great meaning in doing that together, in acknowledging the differences that they have, but also the similarities. And I just thought, why are we not doing this more often? And I was just thinking, it's an unsettling time for people who are of a religious or ethnic minority. I think this would be a great time to try to ask my local leadership if they would be interested in supporting an Iftar Break the Fast dinner to my happiness, to my surprise and my and my joy, he said that he thought that it was a wonderful idea. He had even been to an iftar dinner before, so he was very open to the idea. I wanted to make sure that we were sensitive to the particular needs of the Muslim community that was going to be joining us. I worked with a couple of Muslim women that are now my friends, and they helped me a lot just to make sure that we were getting the food right, we were making sure that they would feel comfortable there, because I think it's difficult for people to step out of their comfort zones, going to a different church or a different mosque or a different place of worship and not knowing the cultural norms. So I wanted to make sure that any Muslim that thought that this was a great idea, they wanted to attend, we wanted to make sure that they would be comfortable and welcome there. Not only you prepared the building, but also a program with members of both faiths. Yes, we had the bishop of my ward. He spoke for about five minutes regarding what fasting looks like in Mormonism and what it means to us. And then we had the former Muslim Student Association president from the University of Utah. So he was well-versed in how to speak about this. He also spoke about what fasting means for Muslims and 
some basics about Ramadan. He did a call to prayer that was very beautiful. It kind of sounded like a sung prayer. And then we had rooms set up for the Muslims to go and pray, and we made sure that everything would be fine for them there, comfortable, and set up how, how they would like it in a mosque. And then we joined back together and had a great meal together. People really embraced the spirit of the evening, which was to learn from each other and share stories and talk about just our lives and what they're like. And I saw that happening during the dinner that everyone was intermingling. And so I saw people that didn't know each other sitting next to each other of, of different traditions. And it was really, really beautiful to, to experience and to observe. I read an article about this where you talked about the reduction of fear when people just meet one-to-one and talk. Absolutely. And I've experienced this in my own life. And so I think this is one of the things that was driving me to facilitate an evening in which other people could experience this as well, because it's been such a powerful thing for me when I've finally broken down a barrier a preconceived idea or a bias or a prejudice that I had against someone else and just was face-to-face with them and shared stories. And it really, really has helped me. So I, I was really pleased to see that other people were experiencing this as well. Kristen, thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. Meeting in person with people who are different than yourself to learn who they really are. Teaching children by example when they're young. Learning self-control and submission to God by fasting. Do those ideas resonate with you? We invited a group of people to listen to our guests and then respond. Kevin Jones-Giddens comes from a diverse background. His parents are of two different faiths, and he grew up with many foster brothers and sisters. He now leads diversity training. Jean Marshall was born in Salt Lake City, raised in Southern California. She plays with fabric and attends several book groups. She's wife, mother, and grandmother. Melanie Hoffman has a degree in art. She's a published children's songwriter and is a fan of children in general. She's grandma to seven. Peg Woodruff is the mother of eight, grandmother of seven, with a degree in acting and an ability to cook for anyone with a specialty diet. Yes, first of all, I love that interview. I loved it, and I love what this program is all about, introducing me to people and what they believe. Uh, I really love that. I have a chance to talk about diversity in a lot of classes I teach, and I just love it. It brought to me this interview, the idea of principles versus values, that a lot of people talk values, their values, thinking their values are principles, but they're not. Values are self-chosen. Principles are universal. And in this interview, they spoke a lot about principles that are universal that relate to many different people in their faiths but we interpret it different. For example, the principle of a child's not accountable, that's a principle, but whether it's age 12, 13, 14, eight, that's a value. They talked about the word fasting, that's a principle, versus the value of we fast from sunset to sundown or fast for two meals. So if we could come together on principles, I think this world, we would have a lot in common and we wouldn't fight each other so much. But when we do fight, I think it's over values. That's why we're fighting because you can't fight over principles. It just doesn't exist. You fight over values, not principles. And I love the fact that they brought out a lot of principles that I can identify with. Wow, that is a really good explanation. And I can, I can resonate with that. Principles, values. 
And you know, all of the principles that he talked about did seem to me quite universal, didn't it to you? Yes. It did to me. Absolutely. It recalled to me a trip I took to New York to visit our daughter and I had to take a cab to her place in Brooklyn and the driver was Muslim. And he just sort of voluntarily, you know, he asked where I was from. I said, Utah. And he asked if I knew much about Muslims. And he proceeded to just tell me all these wonderful things about how family was a big value, uh, not drinking alcohol, taking care of your body. I mean, he just went on and on. And I thought, well, I believe all that, too. And it was very enlightening to me. And in a place like New York, he probably feels the necessity to spread that word as far as he can mm. because it's a, it's a kind of a tense subject in New York, I do believe. Yeah, well, now. This was before 9-11. Oh, that was before. But still, he knew that I probably knew nothing. <laughs> it's good to find these things out. It was very interesting because I was raised in a family very diverse. My mother had fostered over 35 kids, so many Seriously? kinds of— Yes. And over how many years? Over a span of— 15, 20 years. Wow. And so in my household, I had white, black, Chinese, disabled, you name it. It was all. And I grew up back in New York, New Jersey with Muslims, Jewish, Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, Catholic, everything. So a very diverse perspective. But my mother and father were Christians. And my sister, when I came to Utah and I eventually joined the LDS church, my family was like, ooh, you know, so different. Mormons, ah, and then when my sister became Muslim, I became the hero <laughs> because in my family, that was the very different faith. But my parents not realizing it really is not that different. They still believe in a supreme being. And, I and would, try to act in a moral fashion. Yes, yes. And so I have a lot in common with my sister. You know, I, I had a chance to teach in Sunday school and I used the Quran to teach. There's a lot we have in common. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that... Allah and Rasha was willing to share their stories to help us to realize that we are all we are all children of God. We have a lot in common with each other. You know, as I listened to them, it struck me that they live their faith in such a healthy fashion. It is a healthy faith for them. And we've probably all known people who who live their religion in a very unhealthy way that damages themselves or others. And I heard respect between husband and wife. I heard remembering the poor. I heard that his faith helps him to accept others. What a healthy thing in a world of such diversity that we live in to learn to accept others at face value and, and even perhaps love them. But all of these things that they do her great respect for the way he practices Islam, it all just seemed to be a very healthy way, spiritually, emotionally, with relationships. That's the part I loved so much about both Allah and and Rasha. But when she was talking about how important he was in her life, and the one thing that she said, um, that he says to her, just relax, just do what you do, and that he has he has great trust and kind of gives her the reason to be more at peace because of his way. And I totally relate to that because my husband is that way with me. She says, I'm usually under a lot of pressure. And, you know, I think that's kind of a common theme in this society. And my husband is the voice of reason to me that 
It's all in God's hands. Don't worry. You'll be okay. But I loved, I loved everything that she said about the relationship. And, and he also said, Allah said, that the relationship they have is nothing like the media mm-hmm. portrays the marriage relationship, that what, they, what we are told in the media is not what they experience at all. He said, he, she said, he supports me and he treats me beautifully and my daughters beautifully. I felt like they had a real desire to get people to understand that because there is so much miscommunication and misinformation about this subject. I liked what they said about education enhancing their faith. Yeah, wasn't that great? That the more they learn in the secular world, the stronger they felt their faith grew. I wrote it down, the more you know, the closer you are to God. Yes. Mm. Because who knows who knows the most in the universe? That's true. <laughs> and so the closer we can get. Education does sometimes get sort of a bad rap in religion. Well, if you're if you're too educated, if you're too intellectual, you're you're not gonna have faith, you're not gonna have spirituality. That doesn't have to be. The other thing that I was fascinated with was that I did not know I guess I knew at one point, but I was reminded of what jihad means. And when they talked about the struggle with self, it resonated loudly in my soul because that's the greatest struggle against our weaknesses and our failings and our sins. It gave it a whole new meaning to me because for years I've only heard about jihad and jihadists and terrorists. And also, they mentioned the definition of Islam, meaning submission. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing these terms, knowing, hearing more about them it gets rid of this thing called stereotypes. And so because I think we all have had stereotypes, or I have had stereotypes regarding Muslims, but it's wonderful to get rid of these stereotypes by being educated, by learning and meeting real people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. When you have a relationship with someone, stereotypes fade. And I think in every faith that struggle with self exists, the struggle to align ourselves with doctrine and with principles and with commandments and trying to be more like our maker, however we view him. I think that struggle with self is with self is universal. I was very struck with her. We talked about this earlier, the idea of vocabulary being so important that we don't always understand each other's vocabulary if we're from a different culture or a different religion. And I sometimes think we're insulted too easily. We need to make allowances. But I think in just my very limited study of a little peep of German and a little bit of Spanish, it just opens your eyes when you see the meaning in another language or you find out that in their culture what the name for their God is and what their relationship is. It's so enlightening, and it really helps you cross barriers. From their view, they'll say the name of God because they think God is the same. Mm-hmm. They kept saying whether you're with the believers, no matter what religion you're from, yeah. if you're a believer. So I think to them, there's only one true God mm-hmm. from their perspective. And they think all religions. And in one sense, that's true because all truth is from God. Yeah. I loved when Rasha said it took her time to choose her words. That's what I'm taking away mostly is I need to choose my words. I think in ignorance, we talk to people from different faiths, from different backgrounds, and because of our ignorance, we say things to offend them. And so 
We don't mean to, but... But because we're not taking time to choose our words. We're mm-hmm. just... It's like American going over to Europe and looking for McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we're, we're so inundated with our own beliefs, our own culture, we just assume everyone needs to think and react like we do. And so we're not taking the time mm-hmm. to choose our words, not to offend, but to respect. I was in a meeting today, in a business meeting, speaking of choosing your words, and we were talking about reaching out to different people. And I said, it's very important to re- let's reach out to people from diverse perspectives. And someone in the meeting said, oh, why? What's the business relevance for diversity? I thought, uh, he's not choosing his words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. You're listening to a conversation in good faith with a group of listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show. Now back to the conversation. Rasha was talking about the fasting and what a perfect time it is to talk to her daughters and connect with her daughters and send the right messages because they're in a position of learning. And I was thinking about, she talked about remembering the poor, and that's one of the main reasons of fasting, which I, I love. I love that, that of all the people that are suffering in the world and the wars and everything, that that gives us a chance to ponder on that and, and be more compassionate. But it reminded me about my parents, who were just kind of fiercely <laughs> compassionate people. That's kind of a weird composition <laughs> combination. But one day I was, my dad had picked me up from elementary school to come home for lunch. And we were driving down the street, and there was this woman with her child, and she was walking. It was cold. And she was walking with this little girl. Dad stopped the car, and she, it looked like she had been coming from the clinic. And so dad stopped the car and said, would you like a ride? And she was very, she was very surprised and said yes. And so she got in the car and he took her, it wasn't very far, he took her and the little girl home. And he's, he was always so friendly with everyone, just there was no, no barriers there. And I was trying to think how old I was, maybe I was seven or not very old. And the thing I noticed <laughs> was that the lady had these really, her teeth were really ugly, you know, they, and I just was just kind of staring at those teeth. And I said, Dad, did you see her teeth? And he just kind of smiled at me. And he didn't even say anything. He just kind of put his arm around me like, you'll get it, you'll get it sometime. <laughs> and and they, it was a lifetime of them teaching me about being aware of other people and their needs and, and noticing the poor. And that's what Rasha was saying, how important it is to have those times with your children to teach them to be compassionate because you don't come naturally compassionate. And I, I just loved that that was one of the things that she she valued and was precious to her. And it seems like these two had a similar upbringing where when they were young children, their main teaching was just observing their the- elders living their religion. And then he said, when you're 11 or 12, then you start to really learn and start practicing your religion yourself. When they talked about the fasting, it was very similar to what I did with my children when I taught them to fast. The first fast. (laughs) First, they just fasted breakfast, and we were so proud of them when they could go until lunchtime, and then maybe an hour later. And when they were little, they just observed us fasting. They didn't do it themselves. So that seemed very, very similar to the way that the teaching of my children occurred. I thought it was textbook. I thought it was, for me, Parenting 101, 
it helped to remind me. I have five children, and it helped to remind me. They gave the purpose of why the fast. We're thinking of other people. They said how to fast. We're doing it bird style first, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they also didn't push the kids to do it. Don't you know, force it. Was, it. it was agency. They, mm-hmm. they allowed the children to grow and mature into understanding the importance of fast. And I think that's, that's a lesson for me to learn, not to force my kids to go to church or do this or do that, but to teach them in my world, we say line upon line. That's mm-hmm. what I need to be doing. I think she mentioned the word, or maybe he did, about commitment, that after they've done the practicing and the short fasting, then there comes a time when they make their own personal commitment. That's such an important step. Mm-hmm. It, it can never be forced or mandated. My son, a lot, a lot of the children in my neighborhood have chosen to get baptized, and they got baptized when they were eight. And my son said, I don't want to do that when I was eight. And we thought, okay. He, got, he was 13, 14, and he chose to be committed to get baptized. And my wife and I were proud of him for making that commitment. And so I appreciate when they talked about that, I thought, you know, they have a lot in common with, with my belief, because I do believe we shouldn't force children until they are ready to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate hearing that. And that self-control, I liked uh, them talking about the mastery of self with, along with their fasting, along with a lot of things that, that they do that, that increases our self-control. And I think it's wonderful, whatever we can do to increase our self-mastery, to be able to control our appetites and our passions is a, is a good thing. A wise man once told me to learn from good books. And I think there's good in a lot of places, but in our day and age, it's unfortunate that the stereotype that we don't look to the Muslim world or Islam to see good because we're hearing through the media all these negative things. But there actually is a lot of good because they said their faith is about peace. Now, who would have thought? You know, there are a lot of people who are not listening to that word when they hear Islam or Muslim to think of the word peace. But they spoke a lot about this idea of peace, self-mastery and education. And so it really opened my eyes to really understand we need to take a back seat and really listen and look and learn and not to be so quick to judge. Because the principles that I heard them talking about of Islam have nothing to do with those that use it for destruction. No. It was great to hear about peace and respect between husband and wife and loving children and fasting to remember the poor and... Oh, it's good for me. He said, if, if it's good for me, please give it to me. If it's not good for me. What a great perspective. Instead of, please give me this, give me that. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. It's to, really a prayer of thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah, period. Not a prayer of asking. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. If it's good for me, then may I have it. <laughs> I grew up as a very small minority in my community. I was a different religion than 98% of my friends. On Tuesdays, they went to their children's meetings, and I went home. And I'm not sure I was very aware of that most of the time because they were very good to me. But there were times when I felt like a very small minority, like I was different than everyone else. And so I sort of I could understand how she felt as a Muslim in Catholic school. And so I understand that sort of 
feeling very different. And I understand why they did that. They probably wanted to keep people's traditions strong, not to challenge their faiths, to put them in separate things. But but it was kind of kind of poignant to hear that she she wanted to go sing those fun songs, <laughs> and wasn't able to. I don't think it's a bad thing to once in a while feel like you're very different than someone I, I else. I think it helps you examine why you're different and mm-hmm. what they have and what you have. And well, and that's what Rasha said. She said. She went home and said, how am I different? And then she'd go home and then realize, oh, this is, this is why we're doing this. And, but I think it would be tough to be a kid and have all the Christmas things happening. <laughs> well, I think there's a difference between <laughs> the word different. It's one thing to be different. It's another to be excluded. Yes, I think yes. she didn't use the word excluded, but I think that's what she was referring she to when was she said being that. different. I feel excluded. I'm not having a chance to go into that room with them. I'm being excluded mm-hmm. because all my life I feel different. Growing up as an African-American young boy, young man, and then moving to Utah, feeling very different. When I first moved to Utah, I literally slept under the bed, afraid men with pitchforks would come and get me in the middle of the night. I mean, I was oh, petrified. No. Here I am, 25, 26, moved to Utah, and I'm afraid of the community because I felt so different. Wow. And it wasn't until I felt included that that fear went away. There's a lot to be said for feeling included. You can be different, but you want to be included. And another point about that was that she went home to feel grounded and to understand why. It reminded me of Christians in the former Soviet Union who said that their children went to school and learned atheism. And someone asked, how were you able to strengthen your children and to keep their belief? And they said, well, we, we taught them at home. We taught them the doctrine and the principles, and when they went to school, those atheistic principles just rolled off their backs because because they had a strong foundation. And it sounds like they have a strong foundation in their home. Rasha said she was talking about the Quran and that it encourages us to question and that knowledge is mentioned more than 3,000 times in the, in the Quran. I think I'm going to go get a copy. <laughs> I have one. Do you? <laughs> yes. I don't yet, and I've, I've meant for a long time to get a copy of the Quran. I was just going to say, now having grown-up children who are having questions and wanting to be able to have a dialogue and saying, why do we do this? Just having problems with, with their faith. I love the fact that she said, you know, we need to question. It's good. It's healthy to question because that's where you find your answers. It's not just... It becomes internal. It becomes you if you dig into it and have questions and are looking for answers. Because if the dialogue is shut off, no answers come from anywhere. No, and then you feel like, gosh, it must be a bad thing to even ask a question. I'll Mm -hmm. just stop asking questions. That's why I love this interview. Knowledge is power and knowledge is also truth. And I gained some truth listening to this interview. So did I. So did I. Absolutely. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, and especially to Ala Asarhan and Rasha Kudasat for sharing their stories and their faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. I hope you found value in today's conversation. We welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out anytime via email, ingoodfaith at byu.edu. 
Find all of our shows archived online for listening or sharing at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith or subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced with help from Marcus Smith and Christine Knockleby. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon right here in good faith.